Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Rob. We're a writing team from New Jersey with a passion for film. An aggressive, all-consuming passion. Well, whenever we see a news article we find, like, insane, uh, immediately it's... How can we make a movie out of this? Every episode we read a crazy article from different sources and tumble down our own rabbit hole. Discussing cast, crew, and plot. And then we hash out a pitch for a feature film. So, join us as we BS about movies and ask the important question... What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? We are rolling. Rolling! Episode 55, coming live, but not from live studios. Two and a half I minutes mean, filmed. We recorded live to tape. That's true. We do record live to tape. There is no studio audience, contrary to popular belief. We do not have a studio audience. I know everyone thinks we do. Well, the cat is here. The cat's here, and then there's the rabid homeless man that lives in <laughs> Rob's backyard who kind of just what? goes, ah! Wait a minute. <laughs> you know, Craig. <laughs> well, Craig, we hope you enjoy this episode. Wait a minute. I want to resolve this. <laughs> it's your house. You have to resolve it, not me. I don't know. They're what coming in through the back door. <laughs> well, you should have locked it. I don't know what to tell you. <sighs> I mean, I gave him a key, but that's besides the point. I don't think... That has anything to do with him being able to get inside your home. Oh, he says his student loans are paid off. Oh, nice. Thank you, Biden. <laughs> <laughs> Topical, political, exactly what this podcast is about, which is why today we're yeah. going to be discussing the history of the stolen Albert Einstein brain. Sir. A, th a, a sure. thing that exists, and I don't know why. Yeah, uh, we are talking about Albert. Let me try that again. We are talking about Albert Einstein's actual brain, which was stolen mere hours after his autopsy by the man who did his autopsy. We are not talking about some some weird euphemism or an analogy or something about like ah the stolen Elf Albert Einstein brain. Uh, can't it, it feels like it's a it's like a heist technique, you know? Like we should try the stolen <laughs> Albert Einstein brain. I think. <laughs> Oh, a little of the old flipsy doodle. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a Kansas City shuffle, as we know. Kansas um, City shuffle. Rob and I have discussed ad nauseum the movie, not on the podcast, but we've discussed ad nauseum the movie Lucky Number Slevin. Uh, and if you guys haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Uh, it's from 2007, I want to say, but it's got a star-studded cast with Josh. Truly Hartnett. one of the best scripts. Yeah, yeah. The script is phenomenal. Josh Hartnett, Bruce Willis, Morgan Freeman, Ben Kingsley, Lucy Liu. Corey Stahl in one of his, I think, earliest performances. I mean, I think he, he did, did Corey Stahl come up with uh, Guy Ritchie. I think he did, right? I don't was, think so. Was, no, I thought he was in Snatch or or Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. I, I no, feel like he, he was just, in a Guy he, Ritchie. He just looks like that. He does. He does look like that. And he's also American. So he probably yeah. did come up in a Guy Ritchie movie. But <laughs> I mean, Brad Pitt's in Snatch. He didn't come up in Snatch, but I'm kind of curious. Yeah, he. I don't know why. I feel like he should have. Maybe it's also his character in Lucky Number Slevin is very kind of Guy Ritchie esque. The, yeah, the two Hasidic Jews that him and the other guy play. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a fantastic film. If you've never seen it, I highly recommend it. It's an awesome uh, script, great character development, and just excellent dialogue uh, from all from all sides. But especially between Josh Hartnett and Lucy Liu, it's it's really an interesting. Yeah, they kind feel of. like they're in a different movie when they're in scenes together. It's almost got like a Cary Grant vibe to it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of got like a His Girl Friday thing going on, right? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good take on it. I think I agree with that. Um, but we're not discussing any of that today. Um, we are discussing the stolen Albert Einstein. I keep wanting to say Alfred Einstein. Albert Einstein's brain. I think it's because Albert Einstein's brain is tough for me to say. Yeah. Um, but so uh, what's going on here um, is back in 1955. <laughs> what, what, what's going on what's, here? What's going on here? Uh, I'm going to tell you what's going on here. Back in 1955, April 18th, which is the day that Einstein died. Uh, spoiler alert: He died in New Jersey, in Princeton. Uh, yep. And he was, I believe, cremated in Trenton. I think it said, or buried in Trenton. I think he was cremated, right? I don't think many scientists are getting buried. I, think, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. know. It was the 50s. People were weird about that shit. That's true. Yeah, cremation was kind of not something that they agreed with. Um. Anyway, the most of his brain, the left and right hemisphere, uh, was left in two jars for 30 years, thanks to the doctor who did his autopsy, Thomas Harvey. So basically what happened was when Einstein died, he uh, he died because of a shoot. Where is that? How did he die? <laughs> How did Einstein die? Yeah, where it was. It's in the I article. Like, I feel like he died in his office. Um he died of a burst aorta, uh, so it was, yeah. a, it was a heart issue. Um, but his brain was immediately removed from his body by Thomas Harvey. Uh, according to Carolyn Abraham, who's the author of Possessing Genius, the Bizarre Odyssey of Einstein's Brain, uh, Harvey, quote, had some big professional hopes pinned on that brain, end quote, and likely figured that the organ might further his career in medicine. So not only did he steal the brain, but he actually also removed the physicist's eyes, which he then gave to Einstein's ophthalmologist. Um, the rest of Einstein's body was cremated, I was right, in Trenton, New Jersey on April 20th, uh, 1955, at which time his son, Hans Albert Einstein, learned that uh, what Harvey had done. However, it, the article doesn't really go into too much detail about how the family felt about this. It basically just says that afterwards, Han was like, he eventually agreed that the brain could be studied, but only on the condition that those studies be published in scientific journals of high standing, which yeah. Thomas Harvey did not do, not no. until the 80s. So he did not follow through on the conditions given to him by grave robbing one of the smartest genius scientists of all time. Yeah, what does it say here? That he didn't make it publicly known until like 1979, 1980? Yeah, I think it, I think it was even later. I think, uh, sorry, 78, yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so Harvey went on to meticulously document and photograph the brain. He weighed it at 1,230 grams, which was reportedly lighter than the average uh, for men of Einstein's age at that time. He sliced the brain. I don't like this terminology because it sounds gross. He sliced the brain into 240 chunks because it just, it, I don't care for chunks as a scientific term <laughs> yeah, it, for sections. Sections yeah, is yes. right there. <laughs> yeah. 240 chunks, which he also photographed and of which he even commissioned a painting. Creepy. Um, he insisted that his goal in doing so was purely scientific. So he drove the brain cross country. It, it definitely was not. It was absolutely no. I mean, not. He gave away the guy's eyes to an eye doctor. That's not for study. Yes, yeah. you can put them that's, on a shelf. Yeah, that's. Do you want these? Yeah, <laughs> it's like I, I used to. I used to go to a vet who had a, a jar up in his wall uh, of uh, a dog's testicles. Yeah, no, can't do the that. largest well, testicles ever. <laughs> there's a photo in this article of a piece of Einstein's brain in a jar, and I, those type of things, old Frankenstein style Gothic jars of dead baby cows or like fetuses and it's not for me um 
there's people out there that are just like, oh, it's so for me. <laughs> Did you, as a slight aside, just, you know, the notion of putting things in jars and staring at them in a museum being a very 20th century thing. Yeah. Did you ever read a poem called The Two-Headed Calf? I don't think so. It's legitimately one of my favorite poems, like, ever. It made me actually cry the first time I read it. It's only, like, ten lines long. I'm going to read it to you. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, let's find it and read it if it's only ten lines long. Tomorrow. I'm going to read along with you. Go ahead. When the farm boys find this freak of nature, they will wrap his body in a newspaper and carry him to the museum. But tonight he is alive and in the north field with his mother. It is a perfect summer evening, the moon rising over the orchard, the wind in the grass, and as he stares into the sky, there are twice as many stars as usual. Very nice. Good job, <laughs> Laura Gilpin, and well done, Rob Dickerson, with that read. Well, legitimately one of my favorite poems. It's incredibly moving to me. Yeah, that's very that's very fascinating. I love shorter poems. Mm -hmm. um, that's probably just because of my... Uh, attention span that's um, <laughs> about all we're getting however i i read constantly but not poetry usually I used to because i had to study it in college since i was a creative mm -hmm. writing major um so uh while harvey insisted that his goal was purely scientific which it wasn't uh he drove the brain cross country in an effort to give pieces of it to curious re researchers which further proves that it was not scientific he was yep. basically a brain chunk santa claus <laughs> <laughs> Even the United States Army received samples from the wily pathologist. Quote, they felt that having it would put them on par with the Russians who were collecting their own brains at the time. People were collecting brains. It was a thing. And the Russians were up very to some creepy shit. With this brains. is very strange to me that they were like, oh, if we have dead people brains and Russians have dead people brains, we might just have as many dead people brains or better <laughs> dead people brains than the Russians dead people brains. Mr. And President, we cannot allow a dead people brain gap. <laughs> we need to close the deficit of the dead people brain. <laughs> you know what it kind of is? I don't know. This is a weird, weird uh, transition, but it sort of reminds me. Okay. I watched Predator last night, the OG with Schwarzenegger. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of forgot. I'm not a huge fan of that movie. It's, it's a little, I don't know. The word I want to use is like ruddy. And I don't even know what I mean by that. But it's there's something about it that's just a little bit I expected it to be a higher budgeted action film and it felt very low budget action at certain points. It, it was a it was a middle budget film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the part that it reminds me of um, what uh, Bill Clark, is that his name? The actor? Uh, do you mean Bill Duke? Bill Duke. Sorry. Um, right after Jesse Ventura dies. And he sees the invisible predator in spoilers. He sees the invisible predator in the trees and he just starts unloading all of his ammo and everyone else in the group, including Schwarzenegger, just run over and just start doing the exact same. They just yep. unload every single bullet they have. They and level like a solid hundred yards of jungle. Yeah. And I so badly wanted that moment to end with one of them after the dust clears, after it's silent for a little while and all the bullets have been unloaded. I wanted one of them to just look over to him and go, so what were we shooting at? Because <laughs> it felt so uncontrollably macho that there was no, like any actual like um, 
I don't know, covert ops grouping of military men would not just unload all of their ammo because one of the other guys started shooting yeah. uncontrollably. They would it's, be like, hold your fire. What are we shooting? At? They wouldn't just be like, let's go. It's an incredibly 80s macho film yeah, in that really way. Is. It also has a pronounced homoerotic undercurrent. Absolutely. Even just the first, uh, and it's it's been memed to hell, right? But the first shot of... Um, Schwarzenegger and um, oh, the great the greatest handshake of all that, time. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Carl Weathers doing the the handshake, and you just see the muscles. I'm like, my god, it's insane. Anyway, that's what this sort of felt like to me. They're like, they felt that having it would put them on par with Russians. They got brains. We need brains. No one's asking why. It's brains. just, it's just that's what we have to do. Um, that, that was a tangent, but I had to go there because I watched it last night. I also, which I've already spoken to, to Rob about this. I watched RoboCop for the first time and I absolutely fell in love with it. I've actually never seen it because I always thought it was a B movie ripoff of the Terminator. Um, which, which it is not at all. Completely different films, beautiful films, both of them. Uh, Rob off on a tangent real quick. If you haven't listened to Michael Rosenbaum's inside of you with Robert Patrick, I mm-hmm. highly recommend it. It's very good. I show. Um, he talks about you know his his coming up in Hollywood and not coming up in Hollywood, but coming up and then moving to Hollywood in '84, which ironically is the year the first Terminator movie came out, and you know him going through the process of how much he put into the T1000 and stuff. He was actually an alcoholic, and he sobered up just to perform that role. And unfortunately, yeah. that actually did not work well for him afterwards because he just immediately went back to drinking and he actually lost out on a lot of jobs for the next couple of years. Oh, no. Um, but he talks about that. Um, and it's, it's it's very fascinating. If you guys haven't listened to Michael Rosenbaum's Inside of You, it's it's probably the best celebrity interview podcast. I mean, you have what uh, WTF with Mark Maron. You have uh, you made it weird with Pete Holmes. You, you have a thousand of them now. But I think Rosenbaum's probably the best because of his, his interview techniques and skills. He never talks over his guests. He lets them answer the questions because he knows people are there to listen to them, not him. And exactly. it's fantastic. He's he's an amazing interviewer. I highly recommend it. Let's keep going. Um, yes. So <laughs> Thomas Harvey moved to Wichita, Kansas, where to the shock of one journalist in 1978, he'd been keeping the brain in a cider box beneath a beer cooler. Once word got out, so again, he had told Albert Einstein's son that this would all be for scientific research, but instead, he went, but instead he went, no, I'm going to cut it up and hand it out like cotton candy and then just leave it in a cooler in my bedroom. Uh, so once word got out, first study, the first study of Einstein's brain was published in 1985, 30 years after um, Einstein's death with controversial results. So it was published in Experimental Neurology in 1985, which was the first study of his stolen brain, revealed that it did indeed appear physically different from the average brain. The genius reportedly had an above-average amount of glial cells, which keep the neurons in the brain oxygenated and therefore engaged. So a subsequent study out of the University of Alabama, Birmingham in 1996, asserted that these neurons were almost more tightly, I'm sorry, were also more tightly packed than usual and thus possibly allowed for faster processing of information. Then there was a third study three years later, which would have been 1990, uh, 1999, um, that posited that his inferior partial lobel, I don't, lobule? L-O-B-U-L-E? L-U. L-O-B-U-L-E. Hmm. I'm going to say lobule. Yeah, um, sounds right. Rob and I are not scientists. 
Uh, his inferior <laughs> partial lobule was wider than average, which might have made him a more visual thinker than most. And then more recently in 2012, uh, let me real quick just check when this article was posted. This article came out almost exactly a year ago. So August 11th, 2021. Um, so more recently in 2012, a study claimed that Einstein's brain featured an extra, an extra ridge in its midfrontal lobe, an area associated with plan making and memory. Now, there are a lot of people who criticize these studies, like Pace University psychologist Terence Hines, who referred to them as kind of neuromythology, basically coming up with ideas on your own that have no backing to them. Um, he emphatically asserted, quote, you can't just take one brain of someone who is different from everyone else, and we pretty much all are, and say, aha, I have found the thing that makes Terence Hines a stamp collector. So he's not alone in his skepticism. As neurologist uh, Dr. Frederick Lepore, who worked on the 2012 study, said himself, quote, I don't know if Einstein was a genius because his partial lobes were different. If you put my feet to the fire and you say, where is special relativity? Where did general relativity come from? We have no idea. Ultimately, that debate over the specifics of Einstein's brain is unlikely to end anytime soon, despite the fact that most of it was returned to Princeton Hospital. Other slides of the notorious organ, however, were donated to medical institutions. So before his death in 2007, Thomas Harvey donated the remainder of Einstein's brain to the National Museum of Health and Medicine, with Philadelphia's Muter uh, Museum having samples of its own on display to this day. And I kind of want to go see samples of Einstein's brain, which grosses me out, but I kind of want to totally. see it. Similar to the Bodies exhibit, which unfortunately I never went to, but I kind of want to. It's I, fascinating. Is that it's still around? It is, right? Oh, I'm not sure. I saw the tour of it maybe 10 years ago. Yeah, because I know it was a big thing for, I think, the Discovery Building. Like back when that was a when that building was still, well, the building's still there. But when Discovery still had their spot in there, I yeah. think they did a bodies exhibit in there. I believe it was there for a long time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I remember, his, I think the first time I heard about it was actually in Casino Royale. Because he ends up going to it when he's uh, yes. chasing the one guy down after the airport. Yeah. Jeez, um, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Casino Royale is probably my favorite. Mm, one of my favorite bond movies because i think goldfinger probably takes the cake for best of all time it's a classic but casino royale i think is the best film out of any bond movie i think it is the best out of the daniel craig movies which is upsetting just because it's the first of his series but all the others are still good minus yeah quantum come of out swinging it's fine <laughs> yeah exactly quantum of solace is okay i, I rewatched it a little while ago and it's just as just as kind of bland as i remember it being yeah i mean you know water rights and a small french businessman yeah but it, uh, it did have uh, uh olga kirlanko who yes it did we cast and nuked as our <laughs> russian did. hooker <laughs> we did and i got yelled at by a ukrainian friend of ours for calling her russian <laughs> oh god yeah she is ukrainian isn't she <laughs> that's funny um yeah so that's basically the article um creepy scientists stole Einstein's brain said, don't worry, it's for science and then chopped it up and gave it to people around town. You know, the studies that they did on the brain, and I feel like this happens a lot with, with exceptional people. There's an almost spiteful undercurrent to me of this research into like, well, what made their brain unique? Mm -hmm. um, because I think it, it, it ties into this notion of, well, if I can find like this weird thing on Einstein's brain, then that means that he's not actually better than me. It's right. just a freak of nature. Right. Yeah. It's like it was luck of the draw, basically. Yeah. It's not that I didn't put in the work 
over decades in mathematics and physics to come up with general relativity. It's, it's just, just that, that my he has brain, a bumpy brain. Yeah, my yeah. brain can't do that. So it's not my fault. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so now I'm curious if they're going to do the same to Neil deGrasse Tyson when he passes away or something like that. Just steal his brain and be like, all right, let's keep going with this idea. I mean, like in terms of research, there's not a lot going out there. But like, you know, he's a very good science communicator. Exactly. Yeah, he's more of a man that explains it to the the layman as opposed to someone who I would say, I mean, I, again, I, I'm not in the science field, so I don't know how much, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson has cracked in terms of the science field. Yeah. Him, Carl you know, Sagan, I don't know what they've papers. done. Yeah, exactly. Um, which is more than I can say for myself. Um, <laughs> at least in the science field. I don't have many published essays and dissertations uh, <laughs> in terms of relativity and uh science but you know i have a couple got like got like two or three rob's got rob's got one yeah well you know i'm working on a third <laughs> he skipped two I skipped two <laughs> jeez ah shit <laughs> he's got Anywho. one yeah i'm working on a third so that is the story of einstein's brain of course we're gonna run with it and make a movie nick what do you got all right i um First off, before I begin my pitch, I want to say, which I believe we've discussed on the podcast, I've never seen Ex Machina. And okay. I'm not sure. So because of that, I'm not sure if my movie is kind of the same plot line as Ex Machina. I don't think it is. But okay. I really don't have any clue what Ex Machina is about. I just know Alicia Vikander is in it. Um, so the, the idea of my film is that it takes place in the future. We're doing a sci-fi movie. Um, and it's kind of... It's it's sort of a kind of futuristic retelling of Frankenstein almost. Okay. Um, uh, the the title is From the Edge, and it's directed by Alfonso Cuaron. Um, in the future, a scientist uh, kidnaps people and downloads their subconscious to try and create the perfect woman. So he keeps kidnapping people to download their subconscious. But we then later on, and I'm not sure if this is supposed to be like an end movie twist or mid or whatever. Uh, but we then later on discover that his wife died in an accident years ago. So that's the reason he's been doing this for the last couple of years was to try to replicate her with an amalgamation of other people's subconscious. Huh. So through trial and error, uh, it's led him to his final quote product. And he now lives happily again with his new spouse in a synthetic body until she starts discovering all the files of people's subconscious and wondering if something strange is going on as he's crafted memories for her and things like that. So it's kind huh. of a mix of, um, it's kind of a mix of a Frankenstein retelling as well as the Twilight Zone episode. Uh, I sing the body electric. I think that's the episode I'm thinking of. Mm -hmm. I'm usually pretty good with Twilight Zone episode names, but I'm pretty sure that's the one I'm thinking of. Uh, my cast is Dylan McDermott as the scientist. I want this to be kind of a gritty futuristic sci-fi, not dystopian, but I I'm thinking similar esque visual wise to Blade Runner, you know, mm -hmm. um, the synthetic that's going to end up playing his wife would be Monica Belushi okay. and uh, his sister, who's going to be kind of one that's kind of snooping around to kind of like try and figure out what's what he's been doing and where this new woman came from, etc., is going to be played by Helena Bonham Carter. OK, um, so it's basically just this science. I don't know if he kills the people or if it's more like a. He kidnaps them, downloads their subconscious, and basically lobotomizes them so they're now just walking around nothingness. I think that's a little bit darker and deeper if he doesn't kill them. Um, 
so it's basically him kidnapping all these people and stealing their subconscious to the point where they no longer have a personality after he kind of lets them go and they're just kind of walking around aimlessly in the in the city afterwards and he's doing it all for the purpose of kind of recreating his dead wife and uh putting like he's basically piecing together a puzzle of subconscious that he can build to mimic what she was and i thought about the idea of people just being like well then why didn't he just like download her subconscious or something whatever accident she was in whatever i end up coming up with whatever we end up coming up with completely destroyed her body so like there wasn't a way to download her or or he just he developed the technology a couple years after her death something like that it's an easy it's an easy get around Hmm. but that is my film that is what i have so far so now i'm gonna turn it over i don't know if you guys know how this goes but i'm gonna turn it over to rob oh you got something no i just wanted to say like you know just the notion of trying to recreate your wife um, I don't know if you've ever seen this. It's a Spanish movie by Pedro Almodovar. Are you talking uh, about the skin I live in? Yeah. Yes. Um, I have, and I was wondering about that too. I haven't seen it since theaters, so I'm a mm-hmm. little murky on the full plot. I know what it's about because I remember it, but I, I wasn't sure if it was too close or not because I couldn't remember exact details. Mm-hmm. But that's about his daughter, technically, isn't it? Uh, wife. It is wife. Okay. Yeah. But uh, that's obviously a single person, and it's a physical thing, not a mental thing. Right, yeah. Which we will not spoil, because even though that movie's about 10 years old, highly recommend watching that one, too. If you can watch... It is, like, maybe the best horror movie that's not actually a horror movie. That movie will fuck with you on a level I didn't know existed. Yep. And I saw that in theaters, and I, I walked out just going fuck i gotta take a walk (laughs) yeah yeah exactly it's just one of those things where you're like i need some fresh air (laughs) you guys want to get some ice cream or (laughs) please please can we go get ice cream i need happiness in my life (laughs) i don't want to be in this room anymore (laughs) um but that is my premise so rob i'd love to know what you you know what let me uh let me ask you this rob what do you got yeah Okay. Jesus. <laughs> You're strange, man. <laughs> I am. So, uh, I, I wedded a bit more of a, a funny take on this than you. Okay, this should um, be an interesting pull then. Mm-hmm. So, basically, my, my movie is called Smooth Brain. Smooth Brain. I'm thinking there might be a comma between smooth and brain. Okay. Uh, with director Greta Gerwig. Ooh. My cast is Paul Rudd, Mads Mikkelsen, and Maria Bakalova, uh, who was in uh, Borat 2. Uh, the uh, daughter, I'm guessing? Yes. Okay. She was so goddamn good in that movie. Yeah, and, I never saw it. I wasn't a big Borat fan. Oh, it's so good. It's, it's, it was so utterly timely for 2020 as well. What was her name? Maria Bakalova. All right. I'm going to try that. And I also definitely butchered Mad Mikkels- Mads Mikkelsen's name. Bacalva. Uh, I, th- I think you're gonna get it. Baklava, got it. Yep, Maria Baklava. <laughs> <laughs> it's very close. Uh, so basically, um, I'm having Paul Rudd uh, be an executive for an unnamed big box store like Costco. Okay. And he is in charge of expanding their business into Eastern Europe, okay. uh, which does not really have stores like that. And so he goes over there to try and open up uh, a, a warehouse store. And uh, he's got to grease a lot of government palms and 
kind of explain the concept to people in this faded former Soviet Republic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're sort of not receptive to it just because it seems ext- extremely wasteful just to have like piles of jeans and like a lot of food gotcha, yeah, yeah. to this warehouse. Um, and at some point he, during the process of this, uh, accidentally causes, uh, the almost death of Mads Mikkelsen, uh, who is, uh, a, a government official in this unnamed country, mm-hmm. um, during, uh, during kind of a very secretive meeting. Uh, he wakes up after this accident to discover that um, a former Soviet scientist uh, who was responsible for some weird, weird stuff back in the day, uh, in an effort to keep uh, Mads alive, has implanted part of his brain into Paul's brain. Okay. Uh, and for the rest of the movie, Mads Mikkelsen is a voice in Paul Rudd's head. <laughs> Um, okay just like very much chastising him for every single thing he does uh demanding he indulge in certain things that mads mickelson wants to do i'm feeling Uh, sort of a being john malkovich vibe oh yeah almost that's that's sort of like puppeteering someone else this is this is two people kind of like in one body okay um whereas malkovich was just kind of like what the fuck just happened yeah 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 (laughs) uh over the course of this like uh man you know it's totally okay if you fuck my wife because <laughs> i'm in here because i'll feel it <laughs> yeah so it's not you know there's no ethical pro- where are you going <laughs> turn around she's so you have to you have to play a game of catch with my son you fucking pig um, <laughs> and i basically just want the whole movie to be that as he now is is trying to handle the problem of starting up this business in this Eastern European country, uh, people are like, where did Mads go? <laughs> you were the last person to be seen with Mads. He's like, I can assure you he's fine. <laughs> and like, you know, now, now Take, he's like, he's a murder suspect and no one wants his business. For it. Yeah. So where, where is his physical body? It's dead. Okay. It's, it's, it's gone. Yeah. Did Paul Rudd hide it or something like that? Or. I, I think he, he like they're in this like former sort of like presidential palace. Okay. Um and he knocks over a statue, which in true the mummy fashion knocks over another statue, which knocks over another statue. Domino which effect. almost completely compresses Mads Mikkelsen to death. Okay. So it just crushes his head. Yeah. This cunning American. <laughs> and eventually uh a, a rival store, uh a much less quality store, uh, certainly, hires Maria uh, as an assassin to kill him. Uh, uh, despite the fact that she's Mads' daughter. <laughs> All right. Um, Greta Gerwig. Interesting. Um, how do we do this? <laughs> These are vastly different films. That's when how I think we have we the got... most fun. So let's see. Um, <laughs> okay. What if we take my concept of downloading someone's subconscious... Mm-hmm. And we utilize it in terms of. I'm trying to think of if Mads Mikkelsen is a government official in where wherever Eastern European country we use, fake one, whatever. Yeah. Um, we do it so that Paul Rudd downloads his subconscious similarly, so that he now has government secrets in his head. 
Okay. So either we turn... I'm trying to think if we just do like the big box store or as Paul Rudd a scientist or do we do neither and we set it in the near future where this is a technology that exists and for whatever reason he accidentally kills a high ranking government official or they are accidentally like blend melded right like a freaky Friday sort of situation not yeah. body switch but like they're melded and now he has these uh, I keep wanting to say Russian, so I'm just going to say Russian. He now has these like Russian codes or like secret, top secret, like political ideas and stuff in his brain. Okay, and now yeah. he's trying to, and he's, he's kind of a piece of shit. So he now is like, now he's trying to kind of figure out a way that he could use these to his advantage. Like, mm. oh, well, I'll just sell them to the, it's sort of like burn after reading. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, I'll just I'll just sell these top secrets to uh, my world is agents. bigger than the, than the Russians, Chad. Uh, there's yeah. also the Chinese. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and he's just like, well, I'll just I'll just sell all the secrets. And he's like, oh, I have to find someone to sell these secrets to. And I also have to prove that these secrets that I have are real because they're only in my brain. I don't have any physical evidence of these secrets. Hmm. OK, so, so a little bit more of a, a political spy thriller, but still a comedy. I think we stick with the comedy aspect. Mm-hmm. it's again it's sort of burn after reading we have this guy who now has this knowledge but no way of finding a way to capitalize on that knowledge or financially gain from that knowledge so his whole premise is just him being like i have to find a way to unload this information while mads mickelson's inside his brain the voice is telling him like you can't do this because this information is top secret blah blah, blah. and he's like he's trying to be the voice of reason but he's also a different nation. So Paul Rudd's like, well, why wouldn't I give this to the American government? So he's like, he's like Googling who to contact at American government, not even like CIA or anything, just like (laughs) who to speak to in American government for top secrets. Phone number, (laughs) confidential. Yeah, exactly. Contact us page, (laughs) americangovernment.com. Who would have thought the CIA has a front desk? (laughs) I guess you got to. God, they use Blackboard like colleges. <laughs> oh my God. I bet they do. <laughs> so let's come up with an idea as to why Paul, I don't know if, well, I guess the, well, the Costco big box store idea works, but then we have to figure out a way that it makes sense for him to be able to download Mads Mickelson's subconscious or accidentally fall into it, right? Like, is it is a, is it is it as silly and outrageous as something as they sell this machine in the big box store and both of them actually get pushed into it or something and that's how it happens? So I like the notion of, of yours with like you know sort of creating these digital templates of people. Yeah. So I'm like you know maybe they they do that for Mads, uh, but there's like a file corruption issue and it's like all right we got to store this somewhere uh, where it's not going to degrade. And then just looking at Paul Rudd, like, you going to volunteer? Ooh, I like that. Okay, so what if it's not a big box store? What if it is, like, kind of a black market, like, sub downloading subconscious, like, kiosk in the middle of Eastern Europe? Mm-hmm. Like, it's something like, again, I'm feeling Blade Runner, so it's like yeah, this small... Yeah, back yourself sh- up. Yep, this small... Yeah, ba- back, back yourself up is what it's called. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like this small little, like, shop in the middle of... I'm thinking of like anything in like 
area, not movie, but Chinatown. Like, you know, how you have these like small shops if you go to like Beijing or something and everything's just crowded right next to each other. Yeah. And it's in one of these small little shops. I was like, total recall, you know, like he yeah, goes to the yeah, shop yeah. and it's in the back, something like that. I love it. So he goes there or or he runs it. He runs it and they fuck up the filing of Mads Mikkelsen yeah. or something like that. And they're like, we have to get this into someone now or we're going to lose yeah. all of this information. They have and no idea like, that he's like a government official. He yeah. Happened upon it or something like that. He's it's, it's like such an unpopular technology in this country too, because everyone's miserable. Yeah. Like, yeah. Why exactly. do I want to make sure I don't die? Yeah. It's, it's, it's for people to literally just back up their subconscious in the event. Something happens to them. They can be uploaded to a new body, maybe a synthetic body or something like that. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, something corrupts the file of Mads Mikkelsen's subconscious. So he can't be uploaded to a new synthetic body and he's put into Paul Rudd's body. So it's the two of them fighting in his mind yep. the entire time. <laughs> and now you just have every now and again, just ow, I felt that in my eye. You son of a bitch. <laughs> and now you have Paul Rudd just going, Oh, I got to sell these secrets. And it's him trying to find a place to do that. So, What's interesting about him not wanting Paul to sell the secrets is we have your conventional spy versus spy movie. Yeah. But with people who are all basically always in the same space with each other. Exactly. Trying to thwart each other. And that could be really fun. Oh, my God. What if we have it where, like, he's telling he finally gets a meeting with someone to tell the secrets. And Mads Mikkelsen is just basically implanting incorrect memories into his brain. Yeah. Just firing off weird impulses. Just yeah. Like, doing giraffe arms yeah yeah yeah. he's doing that but he's also like he's leaving incorrect knowledge in his brain so the (laughs) things he's telling to the government official make absolutely no sense because he's speaking in whatever language russian whatever we use he's speaking in a different what is mads mikkelsen again he's swedish what is he uh i believe he's from denmark denmark uh so he's is that danish that's danish right no hmm i don't know um i don't know what they speak in denmark well, Danish is Danish. Okay, it is. It is Danish. Um, so he's speaking Danish, but to Paul Rudd, he has no idea what he's saying. So Mads Mikkelsen is having him repeat things in Danish that are absolutely not what Paul Rudd thinks he's saying. <laughs> and he's just and he's just like, yeah, this is gonna work. This is gonna work. Okay, so there's this top secret, uh, you know, research facility in uh, in the Ukraine, uh, and you have to get there to find. It. And the government officials just like, what? the hell is this guy talking about you herpes <laughs> yeah exactly it's like <laughs> okay well we can here? get you a, an anti-fungal cream if you yeah, like what <laughs> it's treatable <laughs> i don't know why you're telling me this i'm obviously sympathetic but you know you made an appointment and I just, I'm <laughs> sir not... you're in the consulate <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what you expect me to do with this information is it because someone like intentionally gave you herpes as a diplomatic move? <laughs> are, are, would you like to file a complaint? <laughs> because like that I can do. <laughs> and then I do, you know what? I want to bring in Dylan McDermott as another person who's trying to thwart Paul Rudd's attempts. Mm-hmm. So Dylan McDermott is like a, maybe he's also Danish or something like that. Yeah. I don't want him to play an American. I want him to play like <laughs> sort of like a man from uncle type deal. No. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Jeez. So he just okay. shows up. So he just shows up trying to thwart Paul Rudd's every attempt. 
Always. So we're using McDermott. We're using Paul Rudd. We're using Mads Mikkelsen. Um, so mild spy hijinks. Where do we? Where do we ultimately take it? This is the question that you and I always end up asking: Is does our main character get what they want, or do they not get anything at all? Mm-hmm. And it depends on what is better for the story. Because most of the time, I feel like we land on gets nothing at all. Mm-hmm. I f- I feel like he comes out ahead in this one. Yeah, yeah. Do you think Mads Mikkelsen gets uh, downloaded back to a synthetic or something like that? I, I I do think he he ultimately is going to have to live the rest of his life with this guy in his brain. With Mads Mikkelsen in his brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. They just kind of have to coexist with each other. Yep. Um. So he does sell top secret information. Yeah, I think there's got to be some kind of hijink where, like, you know, he he plays a couple people off each other. Okay. Okay. So, like, a group of other people, maybe Dylan McDermott's one of them or something like that. Because then I guess at that point, Mads Mikkelsen realizes, oh, shit, if they kill this guy, then I'm dead, too, because I Mm. live inside of him. So at that point, he has to start helping Paul Rudd either divulge the information or find a hiding place or something like that. Yeah, helps him use, like, insider knowledge to come out ahead. Yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of like he kind of gets into a top secret base mm-hmm. and Mads Mikkelsen's like, I'm Left. feeling, yeah, I'm Left. feeling, yep. I'm feeling sort of like a Morpheus in the matrix at the beginning with Mr. Anderson on the, on the cell phone, you know? Oh God. Yeah. Stop at this uh, cubicle. And then when I tell you go, go, that's <laughs> that sort of thing. Exactly. <laughs> so we have it. And like, yeah. How does it actually end though? What happens with, do we do anything with the other people that have been downloaded their subconsciouses or I think, I, I think he, it's gotta be like one of those big, like end of the movie meetings with like all the players uh, in, in contention coming into the same space. Okay. And like, okay. you know, then, well, you know, what's the Kansas city shuffle here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we have to kind of figure out how that's going to work to their advantage. Um, Hmm. Yeah, I see like a group of people in like a. I, I keep like likening things to other movies, but that's kind of what we do in this podcast. Yeah, but like, kind of strange. like a, it's kind of the premise, uh, kind of like a Doctor Strange Love situation mm-hmm. where you have like everybody in kind of the war room almost. Yep. Um, and they're all just trying to figure out what to do from there, and I would say one of them, maybe Dylan McDermott, believes that Paul Rudd has Mads Mikkelsen's uh, subconscious within him, but no one else believes it. No one else thinks that. They just think yeah. he's carrying around like a manila folder with with the documents. Either that or they think this guy is super fucking smart and somehow unlocked all of these secrets. Yeah. And like he's a he's a crazy American spy, which he's yeah. obviously not. He's, he's the most single important individual in intelligence yeah, since in, the Cold War. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> since the Cold War in intelligence history, this is the most dangerous man in the world, and he just spills coffee on his and shirt it's, or something. Yeah, it's just a picture of Paul Rudd. <laughs> yeah, it's a picture of Paul Rudd spilling coffee on his shirt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I got soup in my lap. <laughs> I just, I, I really see the movie ending with Paul Rudd in a coffee shop taking a sip of like a macchiato and just like a very low intonation from the voice of Mads Mikkelsen going, you have the taste in coffee of a peasant. 
<laughs> you have the backbone of a chocolate eclair. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's how. Can I, what? Let's do something for the final battle though like how are we actually does everyone in that room die except he gets out somehow like is it a fire fight Mm -hmm. or is it a fire fight do you think for the second time in a movie like just as he's dropping like the big look how i played you all moment he accidentally knocks some shit over and everyone dies like uh what do you think like a like a like a virus or something or no, just in the same way before I mentioned that he accidentally smushes Mads Mikkelsen, I'd find it really funny. Oh, knocks something over and it just crushes everybody. Like there's another cascade, yeah, and it's just the ceiling collapses and kills everyone. <laughs> it, yeah, it could just be like a bomb that accidentally went off and that side of the room where everyone else is standing is just destroyed. Yep. And he's like, <laughs> he's still under some rubble, so he still has to like crawl out and stuff. And he's, he's bruised up, he's bloodied a little bit, and he's covered in soot and concrete and things like that. Mm-hmm. but he, he just gets out and kind of wipes himself off <laughs> jesus the, really the only like other that. option i was thinking is he downloads mads mickelson to like another brain or something and we do a tammy and the t-rex type moment where he's just <laughs> a brain in a in a bowl of water or something <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but Ew. we're not gonna have him have sex with the brain like they do in tammy and the t-rex <laughs> which is it's just a bad don't do it it's a bad idea <laughs> everybody watched tammy the t-rex young denise richards and paul walker where paul walker gets beat up by bullies and his brain is transferred to an animatronic t-rex that she then ends up dating a film that uh, truly exists (laughs) a film one of the most films of all time The shit, shit we talk about on this podcast—it's kind of crazy. But you know what? My one of my favorite things is being able to bring movies like that to our listeners, so that they can at least go, "Yeah, I'm going to watch that this weekend." And then we they watch it, and then they go, advance. "I was, I was going to say," and then they watch it, and they just go, "Well, fuck those guys." Yeah, those guys suck. <laughs> it made me watch Tammy and the T Rex. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that movie came together pretty quickly. Uh, for the two vastly different genres and storylines we went through. Although, you know what? Not storylines. I would say our storylines are somewhat similar. Yeah, at least we went to the the basic concept of, like, you know, someone in someone else's head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which we didn't have to. It was just a story about stealing brains. Yeah, I'm good keeping smooth brain because I kind of really like that title. Do you want the comma? I'm okay with any punctuation. There could be a dash. Just I, I kind of want to go comma because I can hear Paul Rudd going smooth brain. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I was gunning for. <laughs> you, awesome. you know me. <laughs> I do know you. I know your brain. Smooth brain. Um, Not a single wrinkle to be had. It's really dangerous. I think yeah. it's probably horrible for you. <laughs> I think I died years ago. <laughs> I've been keeping Rob's brain in a cookie jar under my bed. No, no ventilation, no refrigeration. It's Mm. really rancid. I'm pickled. (laughs) Dr. Honeybutt. Um, No, (laughs) I don't want to be Dr. Honeybutt. (laughs) You're Dr. Honeybutt. You have to take the good with the bad. You have a PhD. Thank me for it. Um, Guys, we're so sorry you had to listen to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That's how we should end every episode. We're so sorry you had to listen to this. We promise next time. Next time it's going to be the one. <laughs> and just keep dangling that <laughs> carrot, Rob. You say that every time. <laughs> keep dangling that carrot. Next one will be the one. Don't worry. You guys are going to like the next episode. Yes. Um. 
I want to send you my other article, by the way, because for those of you listening, I, I messaged Rob yesterday and I said, have you already done your work on the pitch yet? And he said, yeah, I have some notes down. And I was like, oh, damn it, because I found another article I really badly want to do. So for my next pitch, I think so we're that'll be episode 57. It will be up. Yep, it will be 57. Uh, and then again, for 50, uh, for 60, we will have a special guest, which we will announce probably episode 59. Super special guest. Super special. So special. Um Probably the most. <laughs> the most special guest you've ever had. No one's come close. Um, Many people are telling me that this is probably the best podcast that they've ever listened to. <laughs> Everybody knows. <laughs> All right. Uh, ladies and gentlemen and everyone in between, thank you for listening to episode 55 of What Do You Got? 55. We've been doing this since 2019. We should be at a much higher number, but COVID hit. And that's when we kind of took a major break during that because quarantine. Uh, And at that point, we didn't have the recording set up, obviously, uh, for both of us. Um, Thank you, everyone, for listening so much. We hope you enjoy the episode. You guys know where to follow us, like us, subscribe, review, comment, share, all of that good stuff that we thoroughly enjoy. Um, Do you have anything else, Rob? No, you know, we've got a, a bunch of pans in the fire and, you know, we just uh, finished up some work on a short film I really enjoyed making with you and the gang. And, yep, yep, yep. Uh, as always, we have a ton of different writing projects that we're helping each other out with or, or doing a lot of weird shit. So, Including uh, a new one that started off purely as a joke, um, which yep. I already have about seven or eight pages of a script written. <laughs> Jesus, I mean, I can't believe you just sat down after a Facebook chat ripoff. <laughs> And wrote Dude, two pages of, a, of a I was just script. like, no, I have an idea, and I have to put this down on the page really quick. Mag- um, magnificent. So that's that's going to be fun because I'm going to keep working on that. Uh, I'm kind of getting a character breakdown and timeline going for it, so I can get something going. Uh, that uh, without giving away the plot or anything like that, folks. The the uh, it's going to sort of be like a horror comedy akin to like Jennifer's Body or Monster Squad or something like that. Monster um, Squad. Monster Squad, so fun. Um, okay, awesome. Uh, I don't have anything else, so Rob, I'm going to let you sign us off. Oh, sure. Well, stay safe out there, everyone. Thank you again so much for listening to our uh, ramblings, audio version of brain leaking out of our own ears. <laughs> uh, yeah, please stay safe out there. We love you all. And until next time, I've been Rob. I've been Nick. And that's what we got. What Do You Got is recorded live at the Cape Swoosh Studios in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Our theme song was written and performed by Trevor Campbell. Additional music is provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. And our wonderful logo was designed by Gabby Weiss. You can find her on Twitter at, at Gabby Weiss.